here we are continuing the continuing saga of uh, the introduction to Srimad Bhagavatam, which is just a, a sweet nectarian uh, discourse from the lips of Srila Prabhupada. This is the place where we are. I think so. We just finished the passage on Uh, let's see. Okay. I guess it's probably here then. <coughs> During his household life, the Lord did not display many of the miracles which are generally expected from such personalities. But he did once perform a wonderful miracle in the house of Srinivas Thakur while Sankirtan was in full swing. He asked the devotees what they wanted to eat, and when he was informed that they wanted to eat, uh, when he was informed that they wanted to eat mangoes, he asked for a seed of a mango, although this fruit was out of season. When the seed was brought to him, he sowed it in the yard of, the, of Srinivas. <clears throat> and at once a creeper began to grow out of the seed. Within no time, this creeper became a, became a full-grown mango tree, heavy with more ripened fruits than the devotees could eat. The tree remained in Srinivas's yard, and from then on, the devotees used to take as many mangoes from the tree as they wanted. <clears throat> the Lord had very much high estimation of the affections of the damsels of Rajabhumi, Vrindavan, for Krishna. <clears throat> and in appreciation of their unalloyed devotional service, once Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu chanted the holy names of the gopis, cowherd girls, instead of the names of the Lord. At this time, some of his students, who were also, dis his, who were also disciples, came to see him. <clears throat> And when they saw the Lord was chanting the names of the gopis, they were astonished. Out of sheer foolishness, they asked the Lord why he was chanting the names of the gopis and, and advised him to chant the name of Krishna. The Lord, who was in ecstasy, was thus disturbed by these foolish students. He chastised them and chased them away. The students were almost the same age as the Lord, and thus they wrongly thought the Lord was one of their peers. They held a meeting <coughs> excuse me, and resolved that they would attack the Lord if he dared to punish them such again in such a manner. This incident provoked some malicious talks about the Lord on the part of the general public. <coughs> so we can see, uh, we'll pause here, uh, Dr. Aaron and I have been talking about, uh, this reminds me of a subject we've been talking about, people criticize so there's uh, criticism uh, is very common in the material world. So is this working all right? I don't know. Do they hear? Let's bring it a little closer. Yeah. How's this? Okay. Okay. So uh, criticism kind of is is a natural thing in this material world. It's uh, uh, it's material. You see, when we, when we become materially contaminated, we find fault and we criticize. So. Uh, uh, it's very difficult sometimes for us to avoid that. 
if we have to point out something that we think should be changed or brought up to a different standard, there's a, a method, there's a way to, to do that. You know, you can, uh, first of all, it might, the best way to approach it is, is, is to put it into a question. You know, you don't come up to uh, someone and say, you should do this. You know, you just say, you know, I'm, I'm confused. I was wondering if it might not be better if we did this this way. Because you know what? You could be wrong. You ever been wrong? <laughs> I know you're not going to believe this, but me too, once in a while. Yeah, once in a while, we're wrong. We're just dead wrong. And it could be for many different uh, things. We just made a mistake and the miscalculation. We're affected by the modes. We're emotional. Could be any number of things. So, let's find out if we're correct. So if we have to uh, rather than just chastise and criticize, and, uh, let's find out, you know, would it, I was just thinking, please excuse me, uh, would it not be better if we did this this way? I mean, uh, you know, and you may hear, uh, the person may say, well, no, no, we do it this way because, and you say, oh, okay, just wondering. Or they may say, hey, thank you so much, we, we hadn't thought about that. Thank you for your, your insight, you see. So, uh, these students immediately came in and uh, criticized the board. I know more than you. You're doing you're doing it incorrectly. You see, they don't know. Yeah. So uh, immediately, and uh, the incident provoked some some malicious talks about the Lord on the part of the general public. So the general public will pick up on a little something. So in other words, you're planting a seed when you're critical. You're critical of Lord Chaitanya's movement. You're planting a seed, and he may hear it and tell it a little differently. You know, because we have a tendency to do that when we're materially contaminated. We'll put a little bit of a spin on it. Because I, I want to make it a little bit more exciting when I tell it to you than it actually was. You see, and then you do the same when you tell it to him, and it gets around. And, and this is called Kramyakata. Kramyakata is village gossip. Prabhupada said it should be avoided, you see. So, uh, this is a really good instance, uh, or a good example. Even Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the same, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, got criticized. People were finding fault. And we see this all the time. People find fault with God. What kind of a God would let something like that happen? You know, some, you know, like some, that case goes, takes a gun and goes and shoots up a school or something. What kind of a God would let that happen? Find fault with God. God let that happen. You know. So that's, that's, this is common for the materially afflicted mind. Criticize. When the Lord became aware of this, <clears throat> he began to sit, consider the various types of men found in society. He noted that especially the students, professors, fruity workers, yogis, non-devotees, and different types of atheists were all opposed to the devotional service of the Lord. My mission is to, to deliver all the fallen souls in this age. Let me repeat that. This is, these are the words of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. My mission is to deliver all the fallen souls in this age. He thought... But if they commit offenses against me, thinking me to be an ordinary man, they will not benefit. 
If they are to begin their life of spiritual realization, they must some way or other offer obeisances unto me. Thus the Lord decided to accept the renounced order of life, sannyas, because people in general were inclined to offer respects to a sannyasi. <clears throat> 500 years ago, the condition of society was not as degraded as it is today. At that time, people would show respect to a sannyasi, and the sannyasi was rigid in following the rules and regulations of the renounced order of life. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was not very much in the favor of the renounced order of life in this age of Kali, but that was only the, for the reason that very few sannyasis in this age were able to observe the rules and regulations of sannyas life. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu decided to accept the order and become an ideal sannyasi so that the general populace would show him respect. One is duty-bound to show respect to a sannyasi, for a sannyasi is considered to be the master of all varnas and ashrams. <coughs> so the Lord is accepting sannyas to, uh, uh, to show a perfect example of how to exist in the renounced order of life. It had started to degrade people, the sannyasis, and those who were renounced at that time weren't as rigid as they should be, you see. And Prabhupada is saying it's much better then than it is now, you see. So, uh, uh, some people may argue, well, it's not necessary to take sannyas in this age. And it's right, you know, it's not necessary. But it depends on how you well, want to live your life. What is your mission? If your mission is to uh, get a good education, and uh, get a good job, good career, find a nice wife, and uh, have 2.3 children, you know, and amass a nice bank account, and retire, play golf, you know, with an old man playing golf, then no, you don't need to take sannyas. But if your mission is to, uh, what was it Lord Chaitanya said? My mission is to deliver all the fallen souls of this age. So if we take up the mission of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, then taking sannyas is probably a good idea. It's probably a very good idea. If your mission in life is to preach. Now, uh, someone else could say, but I, I have a family and I can preach. That's true. You can have a family and preach. You can be a family man and preach. You see. But we do need those who will uh, give it up who give up family life for the sake of preaching full-time, full-time preaching, you see. We have a, a few that will do that, and that's okay, that balances society. It's like you book distributors are balancing society. We have so many people who are un unable to sacrifice as you are doing. So you're balancing, you're distributing so many thousands of books, and you're balancing society in that way. So you're the balance, you know. If we have any comments or questions, you can stop at any time. <clears throat> While he was contemplating accepting the sannyas order, <clears throat> it so happened that Keshva Bharti, a sannyasi of the Mayavadi school and resident of Katwa in Bengal, visited Nabadvi and was invited to dine with the Lord. 
When Keshvabhardi came to his house, the Lord asked him to reward him the sannyas order of life. This was a matter of formality. The sannyas order is to be accepted from another sannyasi. Although the Lord was independent in all respects, still, to keep up with formalities of the of the <coughs> excuse me <coughs> of the Shastras, he accepted the sannyas order from Keshvabharti, although Keshvabharti was not in the, the uh, Vaishnava Sampradaya. After consulting with Keshvabharti, the Lord left Navadvip for Katwa to formally accept the sannyas order of life. He was accompanied by Srila Nityananda Prabhu, Chandrasekhar Acharya, and Mukunda Datta. These three assisted him in the details of the ceremony. The incident of the Lord's accepting the sannyas order is very elaborately described in the Chaitanya Bhagavat by Srila Rindavan Das Thakur. Thus, at the end of his 24th year, the Lord accepted the sannyas order of life in the month of Magha. After accepting this order, he became a full-fledged preacher of the Bhagavad Dharma. Although he was doing the same preaching work in his householder life, when he experienced some obstacles to his preaching, he, he sacrificed even the comfort of, of his home, of his home life, for the sake of the fallen souls. So uh, he was preaching as Grihastha. You know, the Grihastha's preaching is very potent, you see, because, uh, again, it's a balance of society. There will always be Grihastas. There, there will be people who take the household life. And that's very good because when we have somebody who comes into the temple on a first-time basis, they may say, well, who are these guys in orange? You know? All their renounced monks. And the person may think, oh man, I could never do that. You know, I could never be a celibate monk. I don't think this philosophy is for me, because I can't do like this. Hey, who's the guy over there in white? Oh, he's married and he works and, you know, he has family. Oh, well, I think I can do that. You see? So, <coughs> many people a little joy because they, they, they know there's a, you don't have to be a renounced monk. It's not necessary. You can serve uh, with great potency as a grihasta. You can also so serve with great potency as a renounced monk. You see. In his householder life, this, <clears throat> his chief assistants were Srila Dvaita Prabhu and Srila Srivas Thakur, but after he accepted the sannyas order, his chief assistants became Sri Nityananda Prabhu, who was deputed to preach specifically in Bengal, and the six Goswamis, Rupa Goswami, Sanatan Goswami, Jiva Goswami, Gopal Bhatta Goswami, Raghunath Das Goswami, and Raghunath Bhatta Goswami, headed by Srila Rupa and Sanatan, who were deputed to go to Vrindavan to ex excavate the present places of pilgrimage. The present city of Vrindavan and the importance of Brajabhumi were thus disclosed by the will of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So Lord Chaitanya had this will that Vrindavan, after 4,500 years, uh, would be re-excavated. Vrindavan, the actual Vrindavan had been covered over, you see, so they, they found the, the old places where uh, Krishna had performed his, his pastimes 
and built temples there and excavated and re-exposed and established them so that we can have Vrindavan today. Uh, and Vrindavan was was a nice, kind of somewhat sleepy little town for a long time until this one sannyasi kind of put the map on the, the, the town on the map. Who is that sannyasi? Does anybody know? A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami. He took this philosophy all over the world and people started coming to Vrindavan from all corners of the world. And all the merchants started to get rich. <laughs> They're still getting rich. I mean, fabulously, you know, all of a sudden, Vrindavan is a, you know, was, when I first went there in the 70s, Vrindavan was just really quiet. Out where our temple is, where Krishna Balaram Mandir is, there was nothing. There was nothing out there. We had the only building. There was maybe a couple of little huts or small little buildings around. But all that stuff across the street, there was nothing there, you know. All the stuff down, if you go out the main entrance to the right, there was nothing down there. You were farmland, cows. And, see, there was... And then if you turned left to go towards Loy Bazaar, there was very little until you got down close to towns. Very little. Now there are hotels and there's temples and everything. Because... People started coming to Vrindavan and naturally they were bringing money because, well, Srila Prabhupada opened temples all over the world so people needed paraphernalia to worship the deities. They needed deities. So many people are becoming devotees, so we need beads. Uh, Kantimala, Japamala. Uh, the demand just went, it, it skyrocketed. All of a sudden, isn't it? You know, all this, it's there for, for centuries. The, the need for Kantimala was just predictable. You know, we need a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You know, Japamala, you know, few people want Japa beads. Slow, steady business, but not much. And then all of a sudden it just blew up. Now you go through Vrindavan and they've got thousands of beads hanging as you walk through Loy Bazaar. And Loy Bazaar is actually spread, you know, it's even you know, a lot of people think Loy Bazaar is Loy Bazaar, but actually what you're seeing, you're not even in Loy Bazaar before the big, the big business starts. You know, it's just expanded and grown. And this has happened because Srila Prabhupada created a demand for devotional paraphernalia all over the world. You know, it's, it, it does my heart such, I mean, it just makes me feel so wonderful when I'm walking through Vrindavan and I hear some Russians, there's, a, there's tons of Russians there, and they're negotiating with the shop owners, you know. I mean, the Russians are a little tough, though, you know, they're a little hard, you know. No, I will not pay that price. No, you're trying to cheat me. You know. <laughs> and the poor shop owner is like, oh, no, please, no, no, it's okay. So, um, but, you know, so many, most of the people there sometimes are Russians, and, and then from all over the world. You know, people are coming and, and buying things to take from Vrindavan to go back to their temples in South America and Canada and North America and Asia and this to supply their boutiques and so much, you know, here in Tucson it's all coming. You see, so this is now all of a sudden, see, Lord Chaitanya started it. He had it re-excavated and uh, rediscovered the holy places and built some temples. And then Srila Prabhupada has finished the job 
and now he made Vrindavan uh, famous all over the world. Yes. Well, I've been wondering really, uh, what happened to Vrindavan after Krishna left exactly, that it became covered over? Time, it was neglected. Right. You know, time went on. It was a, a very quiet part of the world, not much going on, not much change, very poverty-stricken, uh, occupied. You know, you had the, the, um, the Muslims came through and occupied and did their, uh, their trip on India, and then the British came for a couple of hundred years, they were there, so the, the country was pretty much oppressed. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much since Lord Jaitanya's time. Although some of them have been there before that. But yes? There was a temple, in, I believe it was in Radhavan, you probably know better than me, but um, there was, I believe it was six stories, and then Aurang Zeb mm. used to go around and. Yeah. Radha Gobind. Now it's two stories. Yeah, is it two or three? Two. Two? Yeah. Yeah, it was such. It was so beautiful, and he became so envious. His mother was saying that Aranzad from Agra could see the top of the temple and just uh, agitated. From Agra, he could see it. Oh yeah, from the Taj Mahal. He didn't like that. Taj Mahal should be. He wanted it to dominate the sky, so he had him disassemble. But at least he left two stories. But yeah. <laughs> You know, so yeah, so that's what's happened to India. It's been oppressed. You know, India has never, ever attacked another country. They say in ten thousand years, India's never attacked another country, but actually, they never have. They're, they don't. They haven't. You know, so but they've been attacked and uh, occupied and. Uh, you know, Marco Polo wandered through there and realized, wow, you've got great cloth and silk and gold and jewelry and, you know, spices. You know, they've never tasted. In, in, um, uh, in Europe, they've never tasted cinnamon and cumin and things like that. It was, it was a, the smells of the incense just knocked them over. They've never seen such opulence. So ever, the whole world wanted to get it, they wanted to come and buy and trade, and some people just wanted to send their army and take it. You know, let's go, let's just go take this country. They're docile and peaceful, and so that's been going on. <clears throat> hmm. The Lord, after accepting the sannyas order, at once wanted to start for Vrindavan. For three continuous days, he traveled <clears throat> in the Radhadesh, places where the Ganges does not flow. <clears throat> he was in full ecstasy over the idea of going to Vrindavan. However, Srila Nityananda diverted his path and brought him instead to the house of Advaita Prabhu in Santipur. The Lord stayed at Advaita Prabhu's house for a few days, and knowing well that the Lord was leaving this, his hearth and home for good, Sri Advaita Prabhu sent his men to Navadri to bring Mother Sachi to have a last meeting with her son. 
Some unscrupulous people say that the that Lord. Some unscrupulous people say that Lord Chaitanya met with his wife also after taking sannyas and offered her his wooden slipper for worship. But the authentic source sources give no information about such a meeting. His mother <clears throat> met with him at the house of Advaita Prabhu, and when she saw her son in sannyas, uh, in sannyas, she lamented. By way of compromise, she requested her son to make his headquarters in Puri so that she would easily be able to get information about him. The Lord granted his last, this last desire of his beloved mother. After his, this incident, the Lord started for Puri, leaving all the residents of Navadvip in an ocean of lamentation over his separation. <coughs> the Lord visited many important places on the way to Puri. He visited the temple of Gopinathji, <clears throat> who had stolen the condensed milk for his devote uh, for his devotee Srila Madhavendra Puri. Since the deity Gopinathji is well known as Krishna Kora Gopinath, the Lord relished this story with great pleasure. The propensity of stealing is there even in the absolute consciousness. <laughs> but because this propensity is exhibited by the absolute, it loses its it loses its perverted nature and thus becomes worshipable even by Lord Chaitanya on the basis of the absolute consideration that the Lord and his stealing propensity are one and identical, just like Krishna steals butter. <coughs> he steals. One person said to me, <coughs> someone new to our philosophy said, I just can't identify with a God that's, that will steal. And I said, why don't you think about it? <clears throat> Is it really possible for God to steal? Everything belongs to Him. You know, you may lay proprietorship and say, well, this is, this is mine. This is my napkin. You know, well, you know, Krishna, it's, it's His. He's letting you take care of it or have possession of it or look over it. But uh, So... Uh, not that we're allowed, to, we don't have a license to steal, you see, but there is a transcendental nature to it. So uh, uh, it reminds me of this uh, pastime with Srila Prabhupada. Uh, one time uh, there was Srila Prabhupada taking prasadam. Next to him was Tamal Krishna Goswami, and next to him was Brahmananda. And uh, Srila Prabhupada took this nice sweet ball, and this real big, beautiful sweet ball, and he took a bite out of it and went, mmm, very good. And he handed it to Tamal Krishna Goswami. So TKG accepted it and went, whoa, I got maha maha, you know. So he put it on the edge of his plate and he was going to eat it later. <coughs> Brahmananda Prabhu looked over and saw the sweet ball. He grabbed it and threw it in his mouth. And so Tamal Krishna, he started to wrestle. And Prabhupada said, what is going on? And Tamal Krishnara said, Did you see that? Brahmananda stole the sweet ball you gave to me. And Prabhupada said, Yes, he is making great advancements. <laughs> 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 so I'm not saying that we should steal from one another or whatever, but there is a, a transcendental <coughs> side to it. 
This interesting story of Gopinath <coughs> is vividly explained in Chaitanya Charitamrita by Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami. <coughs> After visiting the temple of Chiragora uh, Gopinath at Remuna, at Balashore in Orisha, the Lord pro <coughs> excuse me, pro proceeded towards Puri and on the way visited the temple of Shakshi Gopal, who appeared as a witness in the matter of two Brahman devotees' family quarrel. The Lord heard the story of Shakshi Gopal with great pleasure because he wanted to impress upon the atheist that the worshipable deities in the temples are approved by the, by the great acharyas uh, and are not idols, as alleged by men with poor fund of knowledge. The deity in the temple is a, uh, Archa, incarnation of the personality of Godhead, and thus the deity is identical with the Lord in all respects. He responds to the, uh, the proportion of the devotee's affection for him. In the story of Shakshi Gopal, in which there was a family misunderstanding by two devotees of the Lord, the Lord, in order to mitigate the turmoil, turmoil as well as to show specific favor to his servitors, travel from Vrindavan to Vidyagar. <coughs> Vid, excuse me, Vid, Vidyanagar, a village in Orissa, <coughs> in the form of his Archa incarnation. From there, the deity was brought to uh, Jatuk. And thus the temple of Shakshi Gopal is even today visited by thousands of pilgrims, pilgrims on the way to Jagannath Puri. The Lord stayed overnight there and began to proceed toward Puri. On the way, his sannyas rod was broken by Dityananda Prabhu. The Lord became apparently angry with him about this and went alone to Puri, leaving his companions behind. <coughs> Where is it? How far is it from Puri? Um, it's about halfway between Lubanish Bar. Oh, it's about 30 miles. Okay. Yeah. It's very beautiful. They have it's like a forest, and they have um, you know cows and gardens. It's a really beautiful part of India. If you ever take a car ride, uh, or even a train, but uh, you can take a car ride from. Uh, uh, Puri to Bhubaneshwar. It's really, really beautiful. <clears throat> at Puri, when he entered the temple of Jagannath, he began at once, he became at once saturated with transcendental ecstasy and fell down on the floor <coughs> of the temple unconscious. The custodians of the temple could not understand the transcendental feats of the Lord. But there was a great learned pundit named Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya who was present, <clears throat> and he could understand that the Lord's losing his consciousness upon entering the Jagannath temple was not an ordinary thing. Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya, who was the chief appointed pundit of the court of the king of Orissa, Maharaj uh, Pantapuruddha, was attracted by the youthful luster of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and thus and could understand that such a transcendental trance was only rarely exhibited 
and only then by the topmost devotees who are already on the transcendental plane in complete forgetfulness of material existence. Only a liberated soul, excuse me, could show such a transcendental feat. But the Bhattacharya, who was vastly learned, could understand this in the light of the transcendental literature with which he was familiar. He therefore asked the custodians of the temple not to disturb this unknown sannyasi. He asked them to take the Lord to his home so he could be further observed in his unconscious state. The Lord was at once carried to the home of Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya, who was at that time, uh, who at that time had sufficient power of authority due to his being the subdependent or the state dean of, of faculty in Sanskrit literature. He learned, <clears throat> the learned pundit <clears throat> wanted to scrutinizingly test the transcendental feats of the Lord, of Lord Chaitanya, because often unscrupulous persons imitate physical feats in order to flaunt transcendental achievements, just to attract innocent people and take advantage of them. A learned scholar like, like the Bhattacharya can detect such impostors and when he finds them out, he at once rejects them. It's just like it's not uncommon in India sometimes to see people who are pretending to be in some sort of a trance, you know. Mm. They'll come in and, you know, like in Mayapur, you see it a lot, they'll get in front of uh, Lord Nishingadev's altar and roll around on the floor. You know. They're just there, they are rolling around. And, uh, yeah. When Prabhupada was alive in Vrindavan, they were sitting under the tamal tree. And one guy came in. <laughs> but these are people, oh, look, Prabhupada, this guy, there's somebody in ecstasy. Because, you know, you've never seen all these things before. Prabhupada said, no, he's not in ecstasy. So that true, Prabhupada said, take my cane and beat him. <laughs> and I was like, what? Why should we beat him? So if he's in ecstasy, he won't protest. So they took Prabhupada came instead of whipping the guy. And he's yeah. come out of the temple angry. At <laughs> <laughs> one time, Prabhupada was giving class in Vrindavan, and someone came in and started to roll around on the floor. And Prabhupada told the devotees to go kick him. <laughs> go and kick him, Prabhupada said. <laughs> he wasn't buying it, you know. Prabhupada. You know, like uh, Sarvabhama Bhattacharya, Prabhupada could tell. You know, he knew that he can tell ecstasy when he's when he's, uh, present. So, how is Sarvabhama Bhattacharya testing? Was he kicking Lord Chaitanya? He's observing. Observing. Yeah, just observing. You know, he didn't. He, he wanted to see. You know, you know, just if he would observe him long enough, he could tell. He didn't have to. He didn't have to kick him or beat him. In the case of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the Bhattacharya tested all the symptoms in the light of the, of the Shastras. He tested as a scientist, not as a foolish uh, sentimentalist. He observed the movement of the stomach, the beating of the heart, and the beating of the uh, breathing of the nostrils. So he just had to observe him. You know, he knew this the science. He took a cotton swab and put it to Mahaprabhu's <coughs> Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> He also felt the pulse of the Lord and saw that all his bodily activities were in complete suspension. When he put a small cotton swab before, uh, uh, before the nostrils, he found that there was, a slight, there was a slight breathing 
as the fine fibers of the cotton moved very slightly. You could tell that the fibers, cotton, you know, was, he was looking as he was holding it, and they were barely moving, you see. So the, there was barely breath uh, happening. <clears throat> Thus he came, came to know that the Lord's unconscious trance was genuine, and he began to treat him in the prescribed fashion. But Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu could only be treated in a special way. He would respond only to the, to the resounding of the, uh, of the holy names of the Lord by his devotees. This special treatment was unknown to Sarvabhama Bhattacharya because the Lord was still unknown to him. When the Bhattacharya saw him for the first time in the temple, he simply took him to be one of many pilgrims. In the meantime, the, compassions, uh, the companions of the Lord who reached the temple a little after him heard of the Lord's transcendental feats and of his being carried away by the Bhattacharya. The pilgrims at, one, at the temple were still gossiping about the incident. But, uh, but by chance, one of these pilgrims had met Gopinathacharya, who, who was known as Gadadhar Pandit, and from him it was learned that the Lord was lying in an unconscious state at the residence of Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya, who, had, who happened to be the brother-in-law of Gopinathacharya. All the members of the party were introduced by Gadadhar Pandit to Gopinathacharya, who took them all to the house of the Bhattacharya, who, where the Lord was lying unconscious in a spiritual trance. All the members then chanted loudly the holy name of the Lord, uh, of the Lord Hari, as usual, and the Lord regained his consciousness. After this, Bhattacharya received all the, the members of the party, including Lord Nityananda Prabhu, and asked them to become his guests of honor. The, the party, including the Lord, went for a bath at, in the sea, and the Bhattacharya arranged for their residence and meals at the house of Kashimishra. Gopinathacharya, his brother-in-law, also assisted. <coughs> there were some friendly talks about the Lord's divinity between the two brothers-in-law, and, and in this argument, Gopinathacharya, who knew the Lord before, now tried to establish the Lord as the personality of Godhead, and the Bhattacharya tried to establish him as one of the great devotees. Both of them argued from the angle of vision of authentic Shastra and not on the strength of sentimental vox populi. The incarnations of God are determined by authentic Shastras and are not by, and not by popular votes of foolish fanatics. <laughs> because Lord Chaitanya was an incarnation of God, in fact, foolish fanatics have proclaimed so many so-called incarnations of God in this age um, in this age without referring to authentic scriptures but Sarvamoma Bhattacharya or Gopinathacharya <clears throat> did not indulge in such foolish sentimental sentimentalism on the contrary both of them tried to establish or reject his divinity on the strength of a, a authentic Shastra later it was disclosed that Bhattacharya also came from the Navadweep area, and it was understood from him that Nilambar Chakravarti, the material grandfather of Lord Chaitanya, happened to be a class, 
a, a class fellow of the father of Sarvabhauma Bhattacharya. In that sense, the young sannyasi, Lord Chaitanya, evoked paternal affection from Bhattacharya. Bhattacharya was the professor of many sannyasis, and in the order of the Sankracharya Sampradaya, he himself also belonged to that cult. As such, the Bhattacharya desired that the young sannyasi, Lord Chaitanya, also hear from him about the teachings of Vedanta. Those who are the followers of the uh, of the <clears throat> of the Shankar cult <clears throat> are generally known as Vedantists. This is not, however, meant that Vedanta is a monopoly study of the Shankar Sampradaya. Vedanta is studied by all the bona fide Sampradayas, but they have their own interpretations. But those in, in, in Shankar Sampradaya are generally known to be ignorant of the knowledge of the Vedantist Vaishnavas. For this reason, the, Bhante, the Bhakti, Bhakti Vedanta title was first offered to the author uh, by Vaishnavas. <clears throat> the Lord agreed to take lessons from Bhattacharya on the Vedanta, and, and they sat together in the temple of Lord Jagannath. The Bhattacharya went on speaking continually for seven days, and the Lord heard him with all attention and did not interrupt for seven days. Imagine the history this Jagannath Temple has. It's just, a, you know, no wonder it's such a magical place. Even though we can't go in, it's just a wonderful place to, to be around, you know. To circumambulate the Jagannath Temple is just, oh, it's just incredible. Um, the Lord's silence raised some doubts in the Bhattacharya's heart, and he asked the Lord how it was that he did not ask anything or comment on his explanations of Vedanta. <clears throat> the Lord posed himself before the Bhattacharya as a foolish student and pretended that he heard that he heard the Vedanta from him because the Bhattacharya felt that this was the way, uh, that this was the duty of a sannyasi. But the Lord did not agree with his lectures. By this, the Lord indicated that the so-called Vedantists among the Shankar Sampradaya or any other Sampradaya who do not follow the instructions of Srila Vyasadeva are mechanical students of the Vedanta. <clears throat> they are not fully aware that the general, uh, of the general knowledge. The explanation of the Vedanta Sutra is given by the author himself in the text of Srimad Bhagavatam. One who has no knowledge of the Bhagavatam will hardly be able to know uh, what the Vedanta is. It's in the, the Srimad Bhagavatam. The Bhattacharya, being a vastly learned man, could follow the Lord's sarcastic remarks on the popular, uh, on the popular Vedantist. He therefore asked him why he did not ask about any point which he could not, uh, which he could not follow. The Bhattacharya could, could understand the purpose of his dead silence for seven days. Uh, of, of, of his dead silence for seven days, that he heard that he heard him. This showed clearly that the Lord had something else in mind. Thus the Bhattacharya requested him to disclose his mind. So here it comes. Lord Chaitanya is going to give him the truth. 
Upon this, the Lord spoke as follows. My dear sir, I can understand the meaning of the Shastras like Janmadyasyayata, Sastrayonitvat, and Atato Brahma Vidyasya of the Vedanta Sutra. But when you explain them in your own way, it becomes difficult for me to follow them. The purpose of the Shastra is already explained in them, but your explanations are covering them with something something else. You do not purposely take the direct meaning of the Shastra, but indirectly give your own interpretations. The Lord thus attacked all Vedantists who interpret the Vedanta Sutra fashionably, according to their limited power of thinking. To serve their own purpose, such indirect interpretations of the authentic literatures like the Vedanta Sutra are hereby condemned by the Lord. Sometimes people want to uh, um, change the, the um, Shastra a little bit or the, the, the presentation of it to, as they say, adapt to modern day man. Uh, you know, they'll throw out the old, much overused, time, place, circumstance. You know, so in other words, I don't. I, I'm afraid that you know, if I if I invite people over, if I preach to people, that if I give it to them right out of the Bhagavatam, that they may not like it. So you know, I need to change it a little bit, make it more palatable to them. You see, and that way I'll I'll will reach more people. So. You know, uh, I can understand this thinking, but <clears throat> what if we were able to do that, and we reach many, many, many more people in a much in a watered down fashion? You see, is that is that really what we want to do, or do we want people? Do we want to give the absolute truth, the philosophy as it is? Shiva Prabhupada demonstrated Bhagavad Gita as it is, so. We present our philosophy as it is. We don't water it down or try to adapt it. Now, there is, there are times when we consider time, place, and circumstance. You see, there are times when we consider that. <clears throat> but we should be very, very careful thinking that we'll, we'll get more followers if we kind of water it down a little bit, you know, tone it down, you see. You know, maybe if we had, uh, uh, instead of uh, when people come here for Sunday feast, instead of a romp and stomp and kirtan, instead, maybe we all sat down and, and quietly chanted. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare. We'd get much, many more people that would come and they would think, oh, this is so peaceful. And you know, we could even sit in a yoga position. Hare Krishna, Hare mother was saying sometimes when they come here they're expecting they're going to a place that's practicing some form of yoga <clears throat> so they're expecting us all to be sitting down and, you know oh maybe we should do more oh or maybe we should just give them what Lord Chaitanya liked kirtan you see I noticed the dancing today because the kirtan was so sweet and everybody was inspired. So uh, in 1976, I was in India, in Mayapur, <coughs> and uh, we're having incredible kirtans. The Radha uh, party was, the entire party was there. 
and they're just bouncing off the wall, grabbing each other and throwing, you know, like three or four people would grab a devotee and throw him into the air. And it was madness. It was insanity. Oh, it was. So somebody went upstairs to Srila Prabhupada in his room and said, Prabhupada, these kirtans are really getting out of hand down there. Somebody could get hurt. And Prabhupada said, yes, kirtan means to dance like a madman. So Prabhupada was approving, yes, very good. Launch those devotees, throw them in there. Of course, he didn't like it when we did the wave. You know, like if he's sitting there and you have five or six hundred, seven hundred devotees that go, they go back and then come up, sometimes the back doesn't stop and they push the front and push them on Prabhupada. I almost got pushed on, on top of Prabhupada one time. <coughs> I was leaning over and just about to fall on him, you know. So it wasn't fun when we got a little crazy when he could get harmed, you know, he didn't want to get hurt. He doesn't want anybody to get hurt, you know, but you see, that's what Lord Chaitanya likes. You know, that's what he wants, you know, do kirtan. That will save the world. So when we go on Harinam, we can do Harinam the way we do Harinam, or we could just quietly and politely, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, you know, you see. And maybe that wouldn't offend anybody. You see. And we could wear, you know, fashionable clothing so as we wouldn't offend anybody. You know. Or we could just go as Lord Chaitanya's associates, which is what we are. And and just give them kirtan madness. You see. And infect them in that way. Just my humble opinion. So, uh, uh, I think we should probably stop. It's nine o'clock. Uh, we probably got time for like uh, you know, one or two quick questions or comments. Yes. You were talking about the issue of people wanting to change things to attract more people. So I guess I have, I have a couple questions about that. Is it not that we need to change, but we need to understand what what is appropriate to present. We don't want to, if someone's coming for the first time, we don't want to say surrender. That might scare them away. Yeah. We just have to know what's appropriate to present. Yeah, and if we're talking about surrender, uh, let's talk about surrender in a proper way. Let's talk about surrender. Krishna wants you to surrender. It's all the work. If you're going to sell him a book, you're going to sell him Bhagavad Gita. They're going to read in there. They're not going to read very far before they see some Krishna saying surrender. Then they read a little further and Krishna saying surrender again. Every little further and Krishna's talking about surrender. It's just all over. So it's okay for us to talk about surrender. But we, we talk about surrender. I try to explain surrender in that it's not a nasty word. Surrender is not bad. We have a bad understanding of surrender because... Uh, as I've often said, that's what we forced the Japanese to do after we dropped two atomic bombs on them. You know, we sent the, every army in the world into Germany and forced Hitler to, to, to do it. You know, General Grant uh, forced General Lee to surrender. So there was a bad connotation there in the material uh, connection. But <clears throat> we surrender with love 
you see, lovers to render to one another. And what we have to tell people, Krishna's not looking for you to just surrender to him. He wants you to surrender to him because he wants to surrender to you. It's a reciprocal. Now when you talk like that, people think, oh no, that sounds sweet. That's very nice. You see? Not just, you just surrender, boy. Get that look off your face. You see what I mean? <laughs> surrender. So we surrender with love. We surrender at the lotus feet of the Lord. And, and, and in love, He surrenders to us. It's a, mm -hmm. reciprocal. So we explain it like that. You see? So, well, and we don't ask them. We don't say, all right, you know, now that you're here, it's time to surrender. We tell them that surrender is there and the sweetness of surrender to the Lord and, and His surrender, reciprocal surrender with us, you see. That it's there and it's available and that you should work to that when you can. Did you have a... Yes, well, um, on this topic, uh, there was one of the Bodhi in I was speaking with recently at the Berkeley Temple, who made an, an interesting point that I hadn't considered before. When people come to the temple, or in any circumstance, whether we're out there or people are coming here, it's not necessarily just a neutral atmosphere where like whoever whoever says something or asks something of the other person is suddenly imposing himself. He said that if you don't if you don't impose Krishna on them, they'll impose Maya on you. So I, I got the yeah. idea that it's kind of like a war. It is. Yeah, it is a war. Yeah, it's a war on Maya. When you declare war on Maya, she declares war on you. So it's a war. It is, and we have to. We have to continuously uh, impose Krishna on people because sometimes you'll be. You ever had the, the situation or the had it happen to you when you're preaching and to talk to somebody? And as soon as you let up, they start talking about their mundane life. Mm -hmm. the, here, next thing, here we got Krishna, and we're talking about, you know, uh, spiritual life. You know, the next thing we know, we're at the soccer <clears throat> field, and little Johnny's doing this, and you know, we're all, or they're talking about some rock and roll or something like that, because that's all they know, mm -hmm. and they want to talk too. <laughs> you know, I saw something the other night that. Uh, a wise man speaks because he has something to say, and a fool speaks because he wants to say something. I want to say something. You've been talking, so I want to say. You see. So. All right, I think we should wrap it up and get going. Uh, thank you all so much. Srimad Bhagavatam. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.